And good morning, Gary. And good evening, Jonathan. How are you? It's the day after Thanksgiving here in the States, so I spent yesterday, part of yesterday, seeing movies. But um, it's been a pleasant, quiet couple of days. Uh-oh. Did you eat far too much turkey? Uh, no, I did not. I ate very little, in fact. Now, how is that a Thanksgiving if you don't eat a lot of turkey? I thought that was the whole thing. Uh, why? That's that's the understanding that I have, too, but I, uh, d- I didn't have a lot of turkey, that's all. <laughs> and did you get caught up in the whole Black Friday thing? As a matter of fact, I did. I went out to Best Buy this morning, not at 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, because there was, uh, uh, there was a, a local ad. They were selling flat-screen TV sets for $88. Mm-hmm. And, and I learned, had I been there before 5 a.m., I could have gotten one. Yeah, but who cares? It's before 5 a.m. Sorry. Well, this is one of the things <laughs> I do about the, 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 the Black Friday, which is an interesting phrase because for, for decades when I was growing up, Black Friday meant the day in 1929 when the stock market crashed. Yeah. Now it means the day after Thanksgiving. Sophie, uh, do you know what Thanksgiving is? Yes. It's a festival. Okay. It's a festival okay. where um, I forget where they were from, but um, some people came to um, America thinking it was. Um, what, uh, I forget what they thought it was. Um. But this is this is what you're doing for your so Sophie's doing drama. And no, by the way, just, I'm just, doing Halloween. Oh, doing for Halloween, sorry. But just for everybody Halloween. who's listening, uh, go, and good morning, and my morning. my young daughter Sophie. Hello, Sophie. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, you were saying about about uh, Thanksgiving, Gary. Oh, um, well, the Thanksgiving is 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 a day when people eat a lot of food. It doesn't have any specific religious or political meaning. Uh, Sophie's about right. The pilgrims came and uh, uh, badly mistreated the people who were already here, but uh, we we try to overlook that. But now the big celebration is the day after, which is called Black Friday. And the reason I finally learned a few years ago it's called Black Friday is because it is the heaviest shopping day of the year. And it is the day, for, for several years, it was the one day of the year when retailers would go into the black. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, running, you know, running no profits until the end of the year. One of the things that big department stores and places like Best Buy apparently do uh, is make most of their profits in the last month of the year, or, not, or at least, you know, break into the profit zone. So as a result... More and more stores and shops have begun opening earlier and earlier uh, and having what they call doorbuster deals um, where, where they, some, of the, some of them were opened at midnight. Uh, and there were uh, – I was at the Best Buy store today, and the guy told me that uh, by 8 o'clock this morning there were several hundred people in line. Um, and that, those were the people who were still in line after the store had been open for six hours. Yeah. Um, so, so, so there are these phenomenal bargains, usually on really cheap – awful stuff mm-hmm. uh, but everybody has to go out so I went out I went out to Best Buy I, uh, I bought a cheap TV set um, just because I felt like I ought to I mean it's like it's it's almost like you know not I don't know not having marshmallow bunnies on Easter you have to buy something on the day after Thanksgiving okay but I did not I did not do what the other people did because one of the things I did a long time ago in terms of bargains yeah. was calculate how much is my time worth. <laughs> and, I'm, yes. and I'm thinking, uh, I've okay, I can stand in line for six hours like one person that I talked to today did and save $40. And how much am I paying myself per hour to do that? <laughs> now, what you said you did do is you went to the movies, right? Mm-hmm. And this ties in with why Sophie's joining us, I think, a little yes. bit. Yes. Because you went and saw the Martin Scorsese film Hugo, which doesn't start here until the middle of January. Uh huh. You guys have and something it... in common. What? Mm hmm. And what do you have in common? You both talk a lot. <laughs> she has a point, mm-hmm. Gary. And well, she. Way, you... The microphone uh, the... looks like a, you're a robot. <laughs> it does. Anyway, your micro, for people who have not seen your microphone, Jonathan, which you thought you had lost. Yes, well, yes. Did we, did we tell our friends that story? What, you mean the fact that I had uh, put the, the microphone into my checked luggage when we came back from America? The bag was open when I got it back, and I couldn't find the microphone, so I assumed that TSA had absconded with it or lost it or something, but it turned out it was in my laundry. Yeah, that story. That makes me look really good. Thanks. Yeah, that story of when you mobilized the entire Transportation Security Administration. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
anyway, it's a lovely microphone, and Sophie is exactly right. It looks like it ought to walk and talk. It does. It's like a little small robotic probe. Actually, technically, it is talking right now. Well, no, it's listening. Mm. Microphones listen, speakers speak. Anyway, what I was thinking about was you were saying earlier, Gary, just before we started talking with, and we're talking with Sophie, you're talking about seeing Hugo, which is the Martin Scorsese film, which is based on Brian Selznick's book, uh, The Adventures of Hugo Cabaret. Now, mm-hmm. or something like that, I think it is. Now, what we touched on, this is interesting to me, is char- the way that young adult characters are portrayed in young adult stories. Yes. You know, because you know, there's a particular kind of character there, and you're talking about the, you know, the difference between plucky and whatever else. And one of the questions I want to throw over to Sophie, even though she hasn't seen Hugo Cabaret, is how she feels about how kids are portrayed in young adult and kids' storybooks, whether they, they seem believable or not, because they're all plucky and brave and all this kind of thing. And I'm not sure we all would be plucky or brave in the case of those stories. What do you think, Sophie? Well, are you talking about any books in particular or just... Just, just stories that you've read generally. Well, I think it really depends on the person, but, Mm. um, yeah, I don't think it would, um, I don't really get your question. Could you please repeat it? Because I've already forgotten. Okay. The question, sorry, you go down. No, I guess, I guess my question to Sophie is, do you, do you see people that are like you in the books you read? Or are they all different? Well... That's a hard question because it really depends on the story and the character and stuff. So yeah. well, let me let me give you an example. Let's take Hermione in the Harry Potter books. What do you think about her? Well, um, actually, um, there's one boy that I think is kind of like her, but it's only because he's really smart. So. Mm-hmm. So she's yeah. smart, but okay. He, do you think Hermione he, is a character? Oh, Ginny. Okay. So, so do you think Hermione is a character you could be like? Is she like you? Um. She I does don't, really well. Go ahead. I don't know, really. Okay. Um, well, let, let, yeah. let me rephrase, ask you a different well, question then. Oh, no, you go ahead, Gary. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, well, uh, Sophie, do you like her? I like, I like that character, but I don't know if I can act. I can I, I think I can act her out a bit, but it's like and make kind of an impression, but mm-hmm. not my real personalities. So she's not like, like you. Her. Is she someone that you might like to be like? Partly, but I don't really want to be as bossy as she is in the first book. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's understandable. Even though I know some people are far more bossy, don't you, Gary? I know a lot of people like that. But here, Sophie, did you read? Uh, did you start reading the books before you saw the movies? Um, well, actually, what happened was um, after family movie night. What? Well, okay, I watched the first movie. Mom and Dad showed it to me, like, like when I was quite young, and I didn't understand it, and I just didn't really right. like it or anything. And but then one time after family movie night, um, Dad, t- Dad told me that Raina was reading the books. This is and, her cousin. Yeah, she's oh. my cousin, and um. Um, I was like, I, I started reading them. It was, it was like a challenge, I, wasn't it? If, if, if yeah. your cousin could be reading them, then you should read them too. Yeah. Well, that that kind of is my question, because when you started reading the books, then, then did, you, did you just see Emma Watson whenever Hermione showed up in the book? Um, I'm more a picture... Well, she's... I imagined her like that, but... I imagined her more orangey. What do you mean by orangey? Orange. Okay. Uh, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of a weird description, but I imagined her orangey. Okay. Do you find now when you read Harry Potter, you only see the actors from the movies, or do you still see them the way they are in the book? Well, there are a few characters that I still see in my own imagination, but sometimes I see, like, the characters from the book. But, like, with Madame Maxine, mm. I still see my picture of Madame Maxine. And, um, actually, I kind of think that, um, in my imagination, she looks a bit like my math teacher. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's because math teachers are mean. <laughs> 
Well, it's, it's interesting because it is interesting to see how we visualize char- characters from books yeah. and why all of us at different ages read stuff. I mean, uh, I know that when I was reading, I'm sure there was an aspirational element. You know, like there were, there were characters you wanted to be like. That, I mean, even if they're doing something you would never do, you know, um, yeah. maybe that, you know, it's, you'd like to think you could be like mm-hmm. that. You could be braver or smarter or faster or yeah. that kind of thing. I'd love to be like EJ12 or something. Just for those of you who don't know, EJ12 is a uh, young adult series of spy novels. It's not a young adult, it's a kid's. Okay, like, kid's. <laughs> kid's series of, of, of oh, okay. um, A useful clarification, a, a, a lower to middle grade yeah. series of, of okay. books. So. so, but that's interesting, Sophie. So you spent the time watching Hugo. Should Sophie go see Hugo, do you think, Gary? I think Sophie should see Hugo. I think, first of all, it has it does have a... Um, strong uh, girl character in it, who's played by Chloe Grace Moretz, who I think is a wonderful young actress. Um, and she's not the central character, but she is. And this happens a lot, I've seen in movies that that have a, a boy-girl thing, sort of non-romantic boy-girl relationships, because you're not dealing with that age group. Is that she's not the central character, but she essentially causes everything in the plot to happen. Okay. In other words, she's, she, she becomes an agent, uh, to, to use the lit crit term, that, uh, w- without which the, the, the boy hero, who is at the beginning very bland and, and very shy, the basic plot of the story is uh, that this young boy takes care of all the clocks in the Montparnasse train station in Paris. It takes place in the 1930s. And his father had died in a fire, and his alcoholic uncle has disappeared, but They've taught him how to take care of the clock, so he hides in the walls and the ceilings and the clockworks uh, of this immense train station, and and tries to hide out from the uh, from this comical uh, security guard who's always on the lookout for orphans. And 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 basically that's his life until he meets um, uh, the, this girl, and the girl turns out to be. I'm giving away the entire plot, but I'm giving out I mean, what I'm giving away is one of the things that the director Martin Scorsese really, really wanted to do in this, and I gather it's also in the book that she turns out to be the granddaughter of Georges Méliès, the first, okay. the first great, the first science fiction filmmaker, the wow. inventor of special effects, um, who's played by Ben Kingsley. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so without her, this entire connection, but the, the clockwork, there's a wonderful automaton in it. Um, there are lots of little wind-up things. Uh, it's, it's a very steampunky kind of feel. Um, and the, the, the entire plot depends on bringing this boy with his automaton together with Georges Méliès, who's an, an aging toy seller yep. who feels he's been forgotten. And none of that would happen without the girl. Ah. And I haven't done this with the Harry Potter books, but I wonder how much stuff... I'm just thinking of the movies. I've not read all the <laughs> books. And I was thinking, how much of the stuff actually happens there because Hermione does something? I think quite a lot of it, doesn't it, Sophie? Yeah, but um, I'm just going to say, um, uh, if you watch the movies, they miss out on quite a lot of the details in the books, so you should really watch, read the books. Oh, you should say that to all of my grandkids, please. Let's <laughs> <laughs> read what we're here to say that to them. <laughs> Where did you stop reading, Gary? I stopped reading uh, after the second one, actually. I got, I got a bit further on. I got about to about book four, I think. But Sophie mm-hmm. read all the way to the end, didn't you? Well, I liked them. <laughs> well, that, that's perfectly fine. That's what they're there for. Sorry. <laughs> well, Sophie, sometimes people like like your dad and, and me, when we stop reading something, doesn't mean we don't like it. Sometimes it means we have other stuff we have to read. And you just well. get bored sometimes. Hmm? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dad well, sometimes. Bored. Sometimes you get bored. But Dad Gary's got bored. Well, I did mm. get a little bit bored, actually. You said but you got bored. Tell you what, there is something we should talk about that's, uh, I'm going to recommend a book to Sophie right now. You are? Yes. The book I'm going to re- recommend, I don't know if you remember it, Gary. Did you ever read, and I'm just looking for the title of the book so I don't get it wrong. Did you ever read Dragon Singer by Anne McCaffrey? That's one of the later ones, I believe, isn't it? It's the it's the Dragon. I think they call them the Harper Hall series. It's that trio of uh, young adult books about mentally. Oh, okay. Dragon no, I don't singer, think I read that. Dragon Song and Dragon Flight. Does it have a girl? Yes. Is she plucky? I don't know if she's plucky. If she's not plucky, then I'm not reading it. 
Oh, she's got to be plucky now? Mm-hmm. See what's happening, Gary? They've got, now, now it's plucky as mandatory. We were talking earlier as well about how there's this whole thing about plucky, right? And I was very happy to read a piece with Delia Sherman talking about writing her new novel, The Freedom Maze, mm. which came out from mm. Small Beer Press a little while ago. As you know, it came out at World Fantasy, actually. Um, and she was saying she deliberately wanted to write a character in a young adult book that wasn't plucky, that it was for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a, a great thing to do. I think it's a wonderful idea, but I but Sophie likes plucky. Well, I kind of just like girls saving the day and stuff, so... Okay. Oh, well, okay, let me recommend a book to Sophie then. Three books. Yes. Uh, three books by Scott Westerfeld, which start with one called Leviathan. Oh, yes. And there's a, there's a boy character in it who's a uh, actually a, a prince, uh, but the girl character wants to join the Air Force, and this is when the Air Force consisted of uh, balloons and zeppelins and, and so forth. And she disguises throughout the entire series in order to uh, to be able to join the Royal Aerial Navy, she has to disguise herself as a boy. Okay. So, like, and kind of like in Mulan? Hero. Hmm? Kind of like in Mulan, where she has to disguise herself yes. as a boy to go into the war and fight instead of her dad? Right. Girls, uh, this is in England, and it's like a hundred years ago. Yeah. But huh. girls are not allowed to be in the army. Yeah. And she really wants to do this because her father was... Yeah, and she comes. She becomes a hero. She saves the day over and over again. It's not hero. Uh, but they don't know that she's really a girl, and she can't really, if, if, you know, she can't really let anybody know, or she'll be kicked out. Yes. Now, do you think that they are the right age for my ten-year-old Sophie, or are they maybe a year or two away? Do you think? I'm very bad at judging that because I have. Um, I would I would think that uh, it would be worth trying the first one. Okay, well, I've, I've got Leviathan on the Kindle, so maybe Sophie could check it out. Yeah. What do you think, Sophie? Interested? Maybe. Don't sound so interested. Mm. <laughs> uh, well. Well, what do you, Sophie, what do you like girls to do? Because in this one, she gets into a war. She, she helps save the airship from being attacked. She rescues people. Uh, she does all kinds of adventurous things. Who's in that water? Keep talking. Um, Keep talking. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. Um, I kind of like girls to be like um, saving the world, but like I, I'm not really into the whole army thing because I just don't believe in that stuff. I don't really like that kind of stuff. So yeah. Right. Well, there's not a lot of army-like stuff in it, but there's a lot of adventure story stuff in it. Who's your favorite girl character in all the books you've read? Okay, now that's just hard. Um, yeah, it is. You've read a lot of books, I know. Yeah. Um, well, I like Lucy. I like Emma Jacks, and I like Hermione Granger. Those are. Oh, and I like Ali Finkel. Those are three of the girls that I really like, but. I mean, four of them, but there's mm-hmm. some, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't pick between Lucy. Um, Lucy, not from Narnia, but she's from um, Stardust, um, Midnight Mothers. Oh, it's, okay, yeah. that's a very um, different Lucy. Yeah. She's from um, a, Lind- a book by Linda Chapman. Um, yeah, and um, Hermione Granger, you know, Hermione Granger, who, you know. Right, I know. Um, Allie Finkel, mm-hmm. that's from, that's by um, Meg Cabot. Yeah. She's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, um, the other one was, oh my gosh, I already forgot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty good answer, though. Um, uh, I like Meg from A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, I was going to ask you about A Wrinkle in Time. Did you, so you like that book as well, because she saves her dad in that, basically. Yeah, I know. And I'm reading the second book, but I haven't really gotten into actually, because I lost the second book halfway through, so got to oh. find it and start reading it again. That's a swiftly tilting planet? Yeah. No, oh. no. It's no. A Wind in the Door. Oh, the it's right. The Wind in the Door. Right. <laughs> Wait, actually, I'll be right back. I, I think it might be on my bookshelf. Okay. I'll be right back. Okay, go find it. Okay, now while Sophie's off book mining, I thought I'm, mm-hmm. there's a very inelegant segue that I need to make anyway. Uh, and we have to remember we were with Madeline Lengel and Sophie Returns, but I feel as though I owe an apology for our previous podcast, Gary. 
Mm. And the reason I feel a, uh, a, a slight need for an apology is what I find is when, when sometimes you get onto a topic and you're talking about it, sometimes, particularly on a podcast when you're tired, what you will do is you will it, repeat yourself again and again. And I've certainly done that. And when we got to oh, talk about... That. Yeah. And it seems as though you, you've been repeating yourself, you reiterate the same point, makes things sound worse. But we were talking about the SF Encyclopedia last week. Yes. About, about which I have some concerns, not so much about the content of the encyclopedia, but just about how it was being received. And plainly, that came across as seeming very negative about the um, encyclopedia. A number of people across a number of social media, not the least um, people on Twitter, uh, were quite you know, quick to point out that I had apparently consigned the encyclopedia to the pit, that I thought it was terrible, etc., etc. So... That's not really how I see it at all. I, I, you know, I, do, I do think there are challenges confronting the encyclopedia that are unique to being online. And there are ones that are yet to overcome, but mo most likely will. Um, and that I do think that because it's a website, you don't see the extent of the additional work that they've put into it. Um, but if anybody involved with the encyclopedia feels as though that I was putting them down, I do apologize. I, that's definitely not the impression I was trying to give. So, yeah. Although I, I, I will um, add to that that I'd, I'd spoken, uh, after that podcast, I'd spoken to our friend John Clute, who had heard about the podcast, had not heard it. And um, much, of the much of the actual factual material we've been talk talking about, uh, mm, mm. It, it, he verified. I mean, the, the, the encyclopedia is, is in process. It's, it's still going, I think, uh, the end of 2012 was when... Mm -hmm. Uh, there will be a complete copy of the book uh, on on the web. It will continue to be updated and so forth and so on. But one of the things that uh, that you were concerned about, as was I, was that um, it was uh, the the launch of the online encyclopedia didn't get as wide a discussion as it probably should have, or as wide a discussion as the second yeah. edition did when it came out. And and, and I believe that's uh, I believe that's true. And John felt uh, felt it's true as well. Yeah, uh, but no, I, I I agree. And if I sounded like uh, like or, or if we together sounded like we were saying that the encyclopedia uh, was in any sense a disappointment, uh, that's not the case. I think one of the problems that does happen with any online work yeah. is that if you've got um, uh, um, hundreds of thousands of extra words, you don't see them in the heft of the volume. No. In no. other words, even if we took the encyclopedia as it now exists online and tried to make a book out of it. I am guessing you would have two books the size of the second edition already. Yes. Um, I, yeah. But but you can't see that because you're only looking at a homepage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So. Ah uh, well, but it, it's important to have said it, so I'm glad that we did. Now Sophie's back to check in with mm -hmm. us about Madeline Lingle. Okay. Well, I've got all the books here except the first book. So I've got mm -hmm. right here: A Wind in the Door, A Swiftly Turning Planet, An Acceptable Time, and Many Waters. Um. Yeah. So that's all the books I've got here, but I must have lost the first book. Yeah, somewhere. I saw, I saw it in, in your Where? room. In your room. Oh. So. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like this today. Oh, there we go. There, Sophie just yanked out her microphone. Sorry, it was. Oh, uh, we'll fix that. We can fix it in a little um, bit. Yeah, when she comes back. So yeah. Um, well, 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 this is kind of neat though because this gives us a chance to. Uh, force ourselves to focus on a conversation and have many conversations in between. Yes. Um, one of the names you mentioned uh, we, who we should talk about and, and, and pay our respects to this week is, is Anne McCaffrey. Yes. Uh, and you'd mentioned uh, the young adult dragon books. And I confess that I lost track of the dragon books at some point, not because I didn't like them, um, but there were a lot of them. And, uh, she was prolific, uh, more absolutely. More and more collaborators. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, I guess... Yeah, about well, I, I only met her once, and yeah. um, I, I, I was introduced uh, by her son, Todd. It was, it was not, I, I, I'm not claiming to have known her. We had a conversation of all of 10 minutes and that sort yes. of thing. But it became very clear that even late in the series, even at the end of her career, she regarded these books as science fiction books. Oh, yes, and, absolutely. Um, even when she appeared at the World Fantasy Convention as a guest of honor, her guest of honor address was built around the theme of, I really appreciate this, but I'm here under false pretenses because I'm a science fiction writer. Yes, uh, and the early uh, the the early Perrin books, going back to I think Where Search was the first story, if I'm not mistaken. The, yes, it was indeed. Uh, it was they were very carefully worked out uh, in in terms of the you know bioengineering that went into altering these dragon-like creatures on this planet. 
Um, and before that, uh, I, as, as people have probably figured out, I, with a few exceptions, I tend to be more of a science fiction fan, or I tended to be more of a science fiction fan when young than, yeah. th- than a fantasy fan. And I was a real fan of her science fiction. Um, yeah. And it eventually faded away a little bit uh, in, in, in the wake of enormous success. But her first book um, was Restoray, I believe. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was a book that at the time seemed to position her as one of the um, you know, emerging uh, uh, strong feminist writers of science fiction. I, mm. that, that book seems to have been written to reverse the uh, helpless heroine role of, uh, of, of, of most space opera up until then. Yeah, I can believe um, it. I mean, the book of hers that always meant the most to me was The Ship Who Sang. I was going to go on to that next. I I was very fond of that book. I think that book raises all kinds of interesting issues. Again, it's a, it's a collection of short stories. Yes. And, and again, it later got turned into a series of books, which I gather were mostly written by others, although they were collaborations. But the stories in The Ship Who Sang were uh, uh, ahead of their time in one sense, that they, they dealt with the idea of a human being becoming a spaceship. She yes. didn't invent the idea. I know the idea had been there... Um, I know Clifford Simic had written a story like that. Um, um, Frank Herbert, Destination Void. So the idea of brains as spaceships weren't new. But the idea of brains as spaceships that developed as characters, um, and, and she eventually turned that novel into a romance, and I thought it was... And it was also a novel that had a great deal to do with, uh, with artistic expression. Very much. Because the, the, the woman, uh, Helva, uh, turns out to be... A, a singer as as a spaceship, and it's it's full of allusions to Ravel and music and art and this sort of thing. Yes. And it just struck me it was a fascinating idea that I don't know if it got developed in the later books because I don't know if this ever happens to you when there's a book that you're very very fond of and then people start coming out with sequels to it, even if the original author is involved, you're not sure you want to. Yeah. Dilute the experience you had of discovering the book in the first place. I've certainly felt that. I don't know if Sophie's felt that. She's just returned. But I've been mm-hmm. reading a lot longer than Sophie, and you've been reading longer than me. So I could imagine that if I had read something, well, you know, if somebody found, let's say, somebody found a half-complete sequel to Citizen of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. and they, which is one of my favorite books when I started off uh, reading back when I was eight. Um. If somebody were to hand out, I, I, you know, I don't think I'd want to read the half-complete version. Never mind the version that you would get to when you handed it off to somebody else, and mm-hmm. let them have a, have a go at it. You know, it's like I think I would be, be happier to leave it alone. Um, and I don't know how Sophie would feel since she's back. If in say ten years' time, J.K. Rowling were suddenly to write Harry Potter eight. Wow. Okay, she'd like that. Okay, she she'd like that. Okay. <laughs> oh, I found the. First book of Wrinkle in Time, by the way. Oh, good. Excellent. Yeah. I've got the whole set here. Yes. So now, now there's no excuse no. for not reading A Wind in the Door. There, oh. was a, there, was a, there was a film made for television here in the States of A Wrinkle in Time. I know. I've watched it. You've watched it? Okay. That was going to be my question. Have you on seen YouTube. it? On YouTube. On uh, YouTube. Yeah. Part one, mm. part two on YouTube and stuff. So, yeah. Did you, did you like it? Did you think it was a good, good, good interpretation of the book? It's not how I imagined it. I just have to say, it's not—it's not how I imagined it at all. How so? What was different? Um, Calvin didn't have red hair. Mhm. Mhm. Um, I always ima- imagined uh, Meg's hair a lot darker. Um, yeah, it was just different than I imagined it and stuff. And I don't really well, remember it anymore or anything. But yeah. I, I don't remember the movie that well either, and I, I don't remember liking it as much as I'd like the book. But that's the question I was getting at. When you read a book first and then see a movie, you're sometimes surprised that the movie doesn't look like what was in your mind. Yeah. I, I'll give you another example. I don't know if you've read this book either, but they made a movie out of Neil Gaiman's novel Coraline. Mm-hmm. And Coraline is a very specific... A set of images that I had in my mind, and I later found out from talking to Neil, uh, a sp- very specific set of images that he had in his mind, which looked nothing like um, the film that was eventually made by Henry Selick. Blank. Henry Selick, thank you. Um, but there was a certain point at which the movie took over, and I thought, okay, I'll go with this. It's not what mm-hmm. I'd imagined, but it's consistent and it's really scary. Sophie, you didn't see Coraline, did you? 
No, I'm not allowed to see it, but I've heard of Coraline and I've heard of the book. And actually, I'm kind of interested in reading the book, but I know I'm definitely not allowed to watch the movie right now. It's a bit, it is a bit freaky, I think, in places. I, I will say, and this is a question for both of you, when somebody adapts one of your favorite books for as a movie, do you want it to look just like the book says or to be as different as possible so that you can keep the movie and the book as separate things in your mind? That's a very good question. I hope Sophie has a better answer than I do. <laughs> See, I kind of think... Uh, what do you think, Sophie? I kind of think I'd um, like them to be different. Well, I don't know. I kind of like them to be the same. So what's happening in words actually comes to life. But, yeah, I don't know. Because maybe if it's... Because, like, I've started reading Judy Moody, for example, which is a kids book um aimed yeah. for um kids about my age about 10 years old um and they've made a movie out of it but they made it a completely different story like with all the same characters the same idea but a completely different story mm-hmm. so they that's made a- unusual mm. yeah i really liked I, I i liked it but um i saw the movie before i started reading the books so mm-hmm. yeah yeah. One of my grandkids was reading a series of books which have been phenomenally best-selling books in the United States among young kids called Diary, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Yes, it's also um, very popular in uh, Australia as well. Oh, they are as well. Okay, yeah. are the films popular? Because there are two films. I've seen one of the two films made of these. And I, what they do to kind yeah. of get around that problem is that the, 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 the illustrations in the book are just stick figures, basically. Yeah. And, and they use the stick figures as kind of transitions within the movie. So yeah, you see I've both. Watched, I've watched the movies. Movie, you know. I've watched, did, did I, watch? I've watched the first movie, but I've watched part of the second movie. But, mm. um, yeah, it's really popular with the boys in my class and stuff. Yeah, the movie and the book. So, what? yeah, now they're reading okay. the newest book. Sorry, you go on. Yeah. yeah. Well, that raises another question, though. I'm, I'm curious about this also. Do you think do you find that more girls read books than boys? It really depends on the book because it really depends on the person. I think like mm-hmm. with boys, they read certain books but not others. And um, yeah, there some girls like to read a lot of books and are quite nerdy. And um, some like some boys are like that as well. But um. So, like, there are, like, lots of kids in my class who are not, they're not really into books. Mm-hmm. Just, like, you know, a few, of like, you know, the boys read Diary of Olympic Kid, and, um, yeah, the girls sometimes read books, but they don't, yeah, it's just not their thing, really, I don't think, yeah. Well, I think that with the, again, I'm talking about my own grandkids, that yeah. you're right, boy, everybody who reads Diary of Olympic Kid seems to be boys. Mm. And one of the interesting things about those books in terms of what, uh, Jonathan, in terms of what you were saying earlier, yeah. uh, of people who aren't plucky and spunky, that the, the, those are books about a kid who just makes one mistake after another. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons they're popular is because kids who, kids recognize themselves in them. They recognize the embarrassments and the betrayals and yeah. uh, the, the, the things that they do. So that could be part of the appeal. But on the other hand of... Uh, when I get to the Harry Potter books, for example, or even when I get to a series of unfortunate events, the Lemony Snicket books, everybody I know who reads them are girls. Really? That's interesting. Well, actually, uh, I can't agree with you because um, some boys in my boy like there's this boy in my class. He reads the Harry Potter books. Um, mm. Yeah, and actually, I think Harry Potter is quite popular with boys sometimes. Like, it might be. Yeah, because um. Yeah, I know a lot of boys who really like Harry Potter. So, yeah. Well, that's good. So, so there. Some boys like Harry Potter. So, there. <laughs> uh, I, I, it may very well be the case uh, here in the States as well. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with a very small sample of kids, many of whom, as you say, don't read anything, or they read sports books. Um, yeah. There's another very popular series of books by somebody whose name I don't remember about baseball cards. Now, baseball cards probably would mean nothing to an Australian readership, but they're a collecting, collectible thing here. And uh, it's, a, it's actually a series of fantasy novels about uh, a boy who, when he gets a certain baseball card and holds it in between his thumb and forefinger, finger, he's translated back in time to the time and place where that baseball player lived. They're time travel stories. Okay. 
And they appeal only to boys because girls very rarely collect baseball cards. Yeah. Um, There's one book I read. Um, It's actually a, a New York Times classic. Um, hmm? It's called Miss... Uh, Mrs. Basil E. Frank Weiler's mixed up mixed up file crazy mi mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frank Weiler. No, I it's think. um nope. the, the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frank Weiler. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. you got there. <laughs> I think it's a, okay. And it's about this and this boy. He doesn't. Um, it says that like he doesn't collect baseball cards. He just saves up. He never spends a coin and. Yeah, and his sister takes him on this adventure to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and they live there for a few for a couple of for a mystery right. week, and um, they find themselves in this art mystery, and they find out that um, they go to this lady, and um, yeah, it's really it's I really like that book, and I think it can appeal to boys or, or girls. There, there are some writers who who appeal to both uh, yeah. easily, and. And, yeah. and you mentioned something about living in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, mm. and that's an interesting theme that shows up a lot, it seems to me, in children's literature. It's one of the themes of uh, Hugo, the movie Hugo, which, of mm. course, is you know the invention of Hugo Cabret, a child living secretly in a big building, in a big yeah. public building. In that case, it's a, you mentioned the Metropolitan Museum of Art. In this case, it's a train station in Paris. Very popular series of, of of girls' books. They were marketed certainly as girls' books by called Eloise, about a girl who lives in the Plaza Hotel in New York. Oh, um, uh, yeah, Eloise. I it's a actually um, it's a cartoon TV show. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. that um sometimes I actually watch. So yeah, <laughs> and um, we actually um when we were in Manhattan, we came across um a shop the hotel and downstairs there was an Eloise gift shop oh that doesn't surprise me at all <laughs> no me either actually <laughs> there also was a writer who was popular several years ago named Richard Peck who had written uh, one of his many young adult novels or uh, I don't know middle grade novels I guess it was mm -hmm. called Secrets of the Shopping Mall and it's about kids who lived in giant shopping malls overnight and just hid out and they had their own, own little community and so forth Wow. So, I don't know if that means anything, but think about it. Uh, there, there, there are movies about kids living in museums, kids living in train stations, kids living in shopping malls, uh, kids living in the Plaza Hotel. I think I'm fine living in my house. In <laughs> I was going to say, do you ever, want, do you ever want to just? I mean, seriously, when you, you, when you go to a big shopping center or something or a big museum, do you ever think what it would be like to just? Sneak off and see what it's like at night. Um, I've thought about it, but I've never actually wanted to do it. It's, it would just be scary. I think just going out into the world by yourself overnight <laughs> with like and no one around or anything. I just think it would be kind of scary. And like, what if you did? Yeah. What, what if you had a bunch of friends that did it with you? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard because, well, I've only actually ever really had a friend sleep over like twice, like once uh -huh. at my friend's house and once at a camp. So, um, I'm not really used to that kind of thing at all. Yeah. So that'd be kind of scary to you. Yeah, it mm. would be. But, One of the things, yeah. uh, what, uh, the 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 Field Museum, which is a huge natural history museum here in Chicago, mm. I think they still do this. Uh, Every once in a while has a group of kids sleep over. I mean, with chaperones, there are adults there and that sort of thing. But the idea is you get your, you get your sleeping bag and you get to sleep under the dinosaur skeletons and this sort of thing. And the kids say it's really, really great until you wake up in the middle of the night and see this gigantic tyrannosaur staring down at you. <laughs> they didn't like that. <laughs> I could see that being yeah. Kind of once um, at the camp, we, we actually slept at the zoo and I did not sleep. Oh, I can imagine. No, we, that could we be... weren't in the cage of the lions or anything, but um, <laughs> yeah, we were like, um, there was this like little cabin thing, and like we all got these um prop up beds, and we all bring our like bring our um sleeping bags, and we slept on the beds, and um, yeah, I I I was up all night. 
Yeah, I, oh, I'm I, sorry. Well, it, no, don't. I, I'm actually used to staying up late and stuff because I like to stay up late. Cause you're a kid. Terrible. Let me mention another another favorite uh, children's book. There's a writer here, and again, I, I'm I'm always curious to find out who transfers to England or Australia. But Daniel Pinkwater is. Uh, a writer that I'm very fond of. A number of writers, science fiction and fantasy writers, are also huge Daniel Pinkwater fans. And his most famous novel is called Lizard Music. Mm-hmm. And one of the characters in Lizard Music wants to stay up late. He just wants to stay up later. And, <laughs> and, and one, one night his parents are out and he manages to turn on the TV set at midnight. And of course there are all kinds of secret programs that nobody knows about. There's a, there's a band of lizards that make music out in the middle of Lake Michigan uh, off the coast of Chicago, and, and they broadcast it on television, but only late at night after all the kids have gone to bed. <laughs> so I think the idea, of, the idea that there is some magical world that happens only after you've gone to bed. Oh, that, that used to haunt me. <laughs> now, we have a copy of that in the house, um, but Sophie's not read it. Well, actually, ah. um, there's a book... Um, um, it's called um, Stardust by Linda Chapman. I mentioned that earlier, um, mm-hmm. and it's actually about this girl and um, so like her friend had moved away and someone else had moved next door, and they just happened to be a Stardust spirit. And wow! Like, really? Yeah, and like they end up telling Lucy that um, that she like that. Lucy ends up to help. They they end up helping Lucy discover that she's actually a Stardust spirit. And then after that book, um, in the series, like they're always, um, you know, they're like staying up, like, cause um, Lucy goes out after her parents have gone to bed. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, and um, she actually so she actually goes out into the woods at night. But like she turns into like this flying spirit. And um, she finds out that she's the last of the summer spirits and the dark spirits want to get her and stuff and get the magic out of her. Dark. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, well, I'm not going to. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll recommend another. And and, and since this and and since he's somebody who lives in Australia, another Scott Westerfeld series called Midnighters. That's good. Are about kids who are born exactly at the stroke of midnight and if they stay up at certain places at certain times if they stay up until midnight the entire world freezes everything i mean raindrops stop in midair everything freezes except these few people can still move around wow and it turns out that there are bad spirits after them as well of course there are scott's really good um uh in this tv series um black hole high other mm-hmm. is known as Blake Holsey High. Um, this girl in one of the episodes has has a watch, and um, it's always slow. And at this one certain time, when she turns the switch on her watch, everything free- like everything slows down, and, and it looks like it freezes to her. And um, yeah, so she can oh. she, so she thinks that she can stop time, but she actually she's actually just slowing it down. So yeah, that's very interesting. It's a science fiction and, TV show. And uh, what's the title of it again? Bla- Black Hole High or Blake Holes oh. High. Yeah. Strange okay. Days of Blake Holes High or Black Hole High. It's literally a science fiction series about uh, you know, when you have a uh, a wormhole on the school grounds. Uh-huh. Which is That's one intriguing I, and fun. I've not heard of it. No. It's uh, I think it's a Canadian TV series. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's made in the mid-2000s, I think, but isn't around so much. No, mm-hmm. so, but there was a movie, there was a novel uh, many years ago by a very famous American mystery writer who sometimes wrote science fiction, John D. McDonald. Yep. Called the Girl, the Gold Watch, and everything about yes. a guy who had a watch that could stop time, could freeze time. Yes, I think I've got a copy of it somewhere. A very good book. It's actually was very entertaining, and that was made into a not very good movie, as I recall. That tends to be the common fate of very good books are made into not very good right. movies. <laughs> um, I've read two old Dahl books, I think, yeah. I've read mm-hmm. two old Dahl books, and one got read to me. And which ones were they? I've, um, in year two, um, my, year two te- my year two teacher read us um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And um, Dad recommended the BFG to me. BFG. Uh-huh. 
And I read, and um, years later, I read the book. And I enjoyed it. And I also read The Witches. Witches is kind of scary. The Witches. Um, and that was made into yeah. a movie. Yeah, it was I made know, into a movie. I know it was made to, um, into a movie. I haven't watched the movie, though. But yeah. I, I actually enjoyed the book, even though it's not about a girl. Mm. It's not about a girl. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe the reason you didn't, I assume you didn't read James and the Giant Peach. But it's not about a girl. Well, a girl's got to have her standards, Gary. <laughs> well, I guess so. I mean, I, I can't blame that at all. But here's a question about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, because that was a book. Now, I did not read the book until after I saw the first movie. And then there was a second movie. So now we have three things to compare. We have Roald Dahl's novel. We have uh, the original movie with Gene Wilder. And we have the remake uh, movie with uh, Johnny Depp. Which one of those three is best? Have you seen both of the movies, Sophie? What movies? Charlie and John. Did you get lost again? She drifts off, Gary. I tell you, uh, well, the two Charlie, and Char, there's two Charlie movies and the book. I've seen uh, Willy Wonka. And, and the Char Chocolate yeah, the first one was Willy Wonka and the Cho Willy Wonka. Yeah, I've seen that right. one. I don't. And, and there's Charlie. And I might have seen Charlie, Ch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm not I'm sure about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And and then there's the book. Which did you think was best? Um, I don't really remember the book because, um, it was read to me, like, ages ago because it's like... Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, it seemed like ages ago, but, yeah. Well, not that many ages ago. Well, not, not really. <laughs> you know, I realize that, that sort of a year or two can be ages at times, or just when I'm reading it, it must seem like a long time. Yeah. Um, I don't, so I don't really remember the book. I kind of remember the movie a little more, but, um... Yeah, I, I can't you might remember some. Question, yeah, you might remember some of the music from the movie. Yes. Uh, I remember the chocolate. <laughs> the chocolate river, yeah. Of course, uh, doesn't yeah, everybody. Of course. Yeah. Or maybe the Oompa Loompas, they were very memorable in the movie. Yeah, I remember the Oompa Loompas and the chocolate. I think I quite, actually, I think I remember the movie more than the book. So, I don't remember the book much, but I remember the movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh-huh. But, um... Also, um, this is a book I've read. It's got nothing to do with Roald Dahl, but it's really sad. It's called um, Sudako and the A Thousand Paper Cranes. Um, I, I know of that. I yeah, I know. It's really sad. It's the story of a girl who uh, contracted leukemia after the bombing of Hiroshima. Yeah. And That's then, why I've heard of it, yes. Yes. Yeah. And Sophie's looking at it in the last few weeks. Our teacher was reading it to us, and it was really sad. Sophie's a sensitive reader, aren't you? Do you like sad books? Partly. I don't know. I like them, a... but I always cry, and mm -hmm. yeah, like when I, like I wa I watched Anne of Green Gables, and when Henry died, I was just sobbing. So I've like. I've only ever watched that movie like once, and I'm like never gonna watch it again. Mm -hmm. Seems like I I don't want to watch it again, but I just yeah, it's kind of hard that way. Mm. Well, sometimes sometimes books that make you feel sad are like that because you're glad you had the experience and you glad you're glad you got through that, but you don't want to have that experience exactly that way again. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that's that's like yeah. the the saddest I, movie of all time. I was sobbing when Cedric Diggory died, but I wasn't sobbing in the movie. No. Yeah, but, like, and I wasn't sobbing in any of the other books, but, yeah. I went to Prince Edward Island once and went to all the Anne of Green Gables places. I mean, it's, it's, it's the biggest tourist attraction on Prince Edward Island now. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking, this is a really sad story, which they are now selling, you know, postcards and knickknacks yeah. and hats and things. <laughs> And Sophie was very upset when he died, weren't you? Really, yes. really upset. So, but I was going to say the saddest film of all time is. Um, have you ever uh, have you ever seen a, a film called My Neighbor Totoro, Gary? My Neighbor Totoro. I don't believe so. My Neighbor Totoro is a film made by Hayao Miyazaki, um, and he, he directed it, 
and mm-hmm. somebody uh, I forget the other chap's name for some reason I don't know why actually co-produced it and co-wrote it and at the same time that they, they made another film called A Tombstone for Fireflies uh, also put out as a grave for Fireflies depending on um, on the translation I guess you, and you told me about the Fireflies one that you yes that this is what I'm talking about now yeah. but I'm just trying I, to tell I Gary about it yeah. Totoro, yeah. yeah, so if he knows Totoro, but has never seen this film. And basically, the oh. guy the guy who worked with on Totoro directed this other film. And it's set immediately after the Second World War. As you can imagine, after Hiroshima and everything, there were many, many orphans around. Oh, yeah. And it's about this, this young boy and his sister who are uh, basically starving to death. And they're looking for food and trying to stay alive, and no one will acknowledge they exist because it's seen as, as a thing of shame, I guess. And mm-hmm. what you find as the story goes on is that the story you're, you're hearing is being told to you after the fact. The, the characters are already dead. And wow. it's, it's incredibly sad. Everybody, it, the, to, the one time, I, I mean, you talk about sometimes you see these things over and over again and they're cathartic. I don't know anybody, I know almost nobody who's been willing to see it a second time. It is so sad. An entire audience sobbing, it is that sad. Um, wow. Astounding film, and I think it's one of those things that animation does. Sometimes uh, animation sidesteps the ba- the barriers that a, a, a realistic image c- uh, will put up for you, and you and you, you relate to the story on a different level. So, if it's done by somebody like Miyazaki, I suppose. And but Sophie, do you think animated films like that can be as strong emotionally as as, as real live action films? I mean, okay, here's, here's an example, and this is a film which goes back before my generation. But I've been teaching for many years at a university, and most of my students are adult students. So some of my students are older than I am. They have been over the years. And every few years, I will ask them what the most upsetting moment they've ever seen in a movie is. And I'm expecting, when I first started this, I was, I was thinking there'd be a scene from a war movie, there'd be a scene from a gangster movie, there'd be a, a, a romantic death. The scene that came up more often uh, than any other single scene was in the film Bambi. Ah, yes. Bambi's mother sad. dies in a forest fire. Yeah, I've watched and Bambi. That's, it's, it's really did, did, that, did it upset you? Because I'm curious, because that, that, that scene has been upsetting kids for about 70 years now. <laughs> yes, it upset me. But I think that um, cartoon films can be as sad as um, real, live action ones. I think so, too. Uh, and I think to some extent, when you're looking at a cartoon, it doesn't interfere with... You still can project your own version of the characters in the cartoon characters because they're usually fairly simplified. Mm. Uh, when you look at an actor in a role, when you look at um, uh, Harry Potter, you know, and, and, and you know you're looking at an actor and you're watching Daniel Radcliffe grow older... And as a matter of fact, one of the things I, I, I think I have seen all the Harry Potter movies and I, uh, Daniel Radcliffe doesn't look anything like he did in the beginning. of the, I know. The movies. I've seen pictures, and, but I haven't actually yeah. seen those movies. But yeah. <sighs> so, 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 but, but if he were a cartoon character, he could, he could sort of be abstracted. So he's almost the same age throughout. Uh, so what I'm saying is when, when you look at a movie, you put something of yourself into it, but when you look at a cartoon, which doesn't have as much detail or as much, um, it's not a photograph, obviously, I think you can put more of yourself into it than when you're looking at an actor. Because when you're looking at an actor, you're looking at an actual person. Yeah. I think there's truth to that. Yeah, I I think there's truth for that as well. But, um, yeah. I I have to say, sorry? Yeah. Okay. I have to say, we are beginning to get get towards the end of our time, Gary. We're not quite at the risk of rambling but we're almost at the end of our assigned hour we are oh. we are oh yeah yes oh, okay. you're, you've been podcasting like a maniac i have she has I have. i've barely begun to finish sophie you and i'll have to finish this conversation some other time <laughs> <laughs> well actually it'd be nice to have an opportunity to have all of us together i keep thinking i might drag her along to brighton gary that would be nice would you come to england with us yeah on one condition uh-oh you do not actually literally drag me. Well, you would walk, I would assume. Well, fly. Okay, I, do, I don't you, exactly want path, to okay. drag. So there you go. Dra- 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 yeah. Oh, no dragging. Okay. 
And I have to say, Sophie's welcome guest appearance on our podcast has meant that I didn't actually talk to you about the thing I thought I was going to talk to you about today, Mm -hmm. Gary. Which is? I pried myself out of bed at an unholy hour and wrote the introduction to the best science fiction and fantasy of the year, volume six. Excellent. Yes, well, I have to because otherwise I'm going to be horribly late. Well, yeah, the book is, but that means the book is done. Uh, oh, you optimist. You are an optimist. No, and no, I've got a first draft oh. of an introduction. I've got to clean up 31 story notes and prepare a final manuscript uh, so that it can go in next week. Uh, and then I'll, <laughs> I might begin to be able to breathe in December once that's done. Mm-hmm. And, of course, well, it means that, that I've had to do that one thing, which you have to do as well, and I have to do again, and Sophie's not had to do because she's not caught up in this industry that we're caught up in, mm-hmm. which is make up things about trends in the field. Huh? Well, see, okay, each year, Gar- okay, you know Gary writes for Locus and that I edit for Locus? Yeah. And that I used to edit, write for Locus? Yeah. Well, every year they do a year-in-review issue of Locus. Right, mm. and they talk about what happened the, the previous year. It's like a you know, yeah, you get your school uh, magazine at the end of the year. We don't get a school. Okay, magazine. well, I, my school used to. Um, Wait, yeah, they're like a yearbook. Oh, a year it's like book. a yearbook. We don't get a yearbook. Yeah. Okay, well, basically, what Locus every February publishes what amounts to a yearbook. It tells you what happened in science fiction that year, what people think, and Gary's job and my job in amongst is to talk about what we thought happened last year and what was important, and so. There are things I've had to think about, you know, like the most important news stories and uh, mm-hmm. trends in the field. I can see the rise of science fiction again in short stories, like, you know, I think, mm-hmm. in some ways. Uh, and all that kind of thing. So there, there are things I thought we might have talked about and we may talk about again as we move we into the, talk- the inevitable year interview season. But I am very glad Sophie's example. able to join us. Uh, Sophie's still there? Yes, she yes, is. I'm still here. Okay, good. So here's an example of, 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 of what, what we mean when we say a trend. A couple of years ago... Uh, it seemed like a lot of people were writing books about mermaids. And mm-hmm. it's not over yet, but for a long time you didn't hear anything about mermaids, and mm-hmm. now you hear about mermaids. And a few years ago uh, with, uh, well, the beginning of the Twilight books, at least a whole bunch of people began writing about vampires and werewolves. But we hadn't heard much about vampires and werewolves. So every year people start talking about something different. Yeah. Yes. Um, and we're trying to figure out what that is. Well, yeah, it's part of our job to sort of, first of all, it's our job to spot it if we can and then to talk about it because people are interested in that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, like what will be next? We don't know. We'll see. And also this makes me think I've got something I've got to show uh, Sophie, I think, mm-hmm. Gary. Uh, uh-huh. And that's the, the Neil Gaiman episode of The Simpsons. Uh, which I've not seen myself. Oh, I, well, she hasn't gone to air here, but because I have an American iTunes account, I was able to download it onto my iPad and watch uh-huh. it. And from now on and forever after, pretty much, Neil Gaiman is, in my mind, going to be what Homer Simpson refers to him in the last quarter of the episode, which is as British Fonzie. I wondered what that tweet was about. Um, Well, I will look at that. Have you seen, okay, have you seen the Neil Gaiman episode of Arthur? Yes. Have you? I watched it. I thought it was fun. What's Arthur? What Arthur? You've watched Arthur, you know, the kids' TV show? The cartoon? Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a new one. Kid cartoon about an aardvark. Oh, I don't, I'm not sure if I've seen it. We'll have to but, wait um, for you to see. Have I seen the Neil Gaiman episode of Doctor Who? Yeah, no, you haven't seen that yet. Because Sophie um, has been has become a science fiction nerd a little bit. It's one of her uh-huh. many facets. And is now a Doctor Who fan and a Sarah Jane Adventures fan, right? And mm-hmm. so she's sort of back at the beginning of the David Tennant years. And she hasn't gotten to the Matt Smith years and to the episode that Neil wrote, which actually is fantastic. It's a great episode, so... When she does get, I, I, I've seen that. That was, that was a wonderful episode too, right. and I will. I, I can tell you that I went. I go back to the John Pertwee years. <laughs> well, I insist, and I might be wrong. It might be sort of half fictionalized in my mind, but I believe that I can remember being in Belfast and seeing William Hartnell on TV. Okay, and now I would have been four at the time. So, you know, but, but I, I have this recollection that that was what happened, so yes. But uh, the, ma- the doctor who I, I always identify with is Tom Baker. He was the one that was, you know, the doctor when I was watching the most, I guess. Mm. Well, and he was the one when I started watching the series. I mean, I had seen, the, the, there was an American film relief of Doctor Who and the Daleks mm-hmm. uh, in the 60s, which is the first time I ever saw Doctor Who. I had no idea what it was. And then later, uh, public television began broadcasting it in the States, and yeah. uh, either when, when they started or when I started watching is when Tom Baker was, um, oh, okay. was Doctor Who. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. My doctor would have to be um, one of the doctors that appears in um, Sarah, Jane, Sarah Jane Adventures. So either David Tennant or Matt Smith. I think it might mm. be David Tennant. I'm not sure. Is, which, which is one is David Tennant? He's the one you've started watching the other ones with as well. The other episodes that are in, like Uncle Stephen yeah. gave you for Christmas. That was a um, uh, Wait, I'll be right back. No, no, we're, we're going to wind up. So. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's either David Tennant or Matt Smith. Okay. But I just think that... The doctor that I imagine is kind of crazy. <laughs> That's him. That's David Tennant. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe on that happy note, or that crazy note, we might wind up. It's been a, a an interesting 77th podcast, Gary. <laughs> wow. Already? Excellent. I'm glad. Thank you for joining us, Sophie. Yes. yes. Well, yes. Thank you very much, Sophie, for being a guest on our 77th well, podcast. Thank you for letting me. And thank you, Gary. Thank you, Gary. I will, as always. Talk Thank you, to you, Sophie. Okay, goodbye. Talk next week. Hey, talk to you. Bye. See you, Bye. podcasting, Gary. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.